Radio. Life Radio, a hard-hitting five-minute analysis on today's issues. Unplanned pregnancy, abortion, politics, the American family, exposing the issues. Dorothy Wallace and Todd Clayton of Caring to Love Ministries, helping you and your stand for life. Hi, I'm your co-host Todd Clayton and welcome to Life Radio. Our guest today is Kirk Cameron, and he was our guest speaker recently at the Celebrate Life Banquet here in Baton Rouge. And here's a little bit of what he had to say. So Chelsea was driving her 15-passenger van through the canyon down to the beach in California with four little kids in the back seat. They were four years old, three years old, two years old, and one year old, all in car seats, and she's pregnant. And Jack, the four-year-old, is so excited with his siblings that mom is pregnant for the very first time. The other four were adopted. They didn't really understand what that meant, but mommy's tummy's getting bigger and bigger. And they've been hearing about this magic trick that's going to happen with this baby that's going to pop out of mommy's tummy in just a little while. And Jack says to my wife from the back seat, Mom, whose tummy was I in? Was I in your tummy? And Chelsea takes a deep breath. And she realizes this is the moment. She's going to have the talk for the first time. And she says a quick little prayer, and she says, "Ah, No, Jack, I don't, I don't know the woman whose tummy you're in, but I love her. And I feel like I know her because she's part of you. And she looks a little like you, and... She carried you for nine months in her tummy. And I'm sure that there were times where she felt scared. And she wasn't sure if she could do it, but she loved you so much. She took good care of you. And then God sent an angel to her that let her know that it was okay that she wasn't ready to be a mommy yet. And God introduced me and dad to that same angel, this woman who met with that young girl when she gave birth to you and carried you from her to where you were supposed to be, the, God, the family God wanted you in, me and dad. And you were the answer to our prayers. And that's how you came into our family. But I can tell you that that girl, whoever she is, is very, very special. She is a hero. And Jack looked up at her and he said, Oh. <laughs> and he went back to coloring in his little coloring book. That was all the answer he needed. And he was cool with it. And I will be forever grateful to that angel who was part of a whole host and army of angels who came up alongside that birth mother when she was alone and scared and felt like she didn't have what it took 
to carry this child and let her know that she was made for this. She was born for this and that she could do this and that this wasn't a crisis. This wasn't a mistake. This was a miracle. And four of our children had a very similar story. All four of my oldest kids were one doctor appointment away from not existing. My wife, Chelsea, is also an adopted child herself and was this close to not being here. And if Chelsea hadn't been born, either would our two natural-born children. I am so deeply and forever grateful for those who love life and celebrate life and protect life and come up alongside those who are carrying life in their womb. I'm so thankful that uh, you invited me to be here tonight, Dorothy. Uh, I'm so honored to to be a part of an organization that is helping to serve over 133,000 pregnant women and see over 86,000 babies born and provide all the services that you're providing for this area. What an honor. God is certainly answering our prayers. And I know that that this is a ministry that's truly driven by faith. And it's not just because we we had a prayer earlier this evening. Uh, It's not just because of the words that I'm hearing. But uh, by your choice of speakers, I know that you must be driven by faith. In the past, you've chosen some pretty phenomenal uh, people of integrity and faith. And they're very intelligent. You've had Ben Carson and Abby Johnson and Mike Pompeo. But this year, I mean, you went out on the skinny branches of faith and you invited Mike Seaver. That's trust. Uh, And and remember, I'm from California, the, the land of fruits and nuts, the land of loose nuts and bolts. Who knows what you're going to get? And on top of it all, as far as me being a guy of character and faith, I'm also an actor. I could be faking the whole thing. In fact, it, uh, it, it thrills me to think back on what God did for a 17-year-old, full-of-himself teenager on a 1980s sitcom called Growing Pains to bring him out of atheism into faith and a love for God. And, it's, and I never had that story in mind. I mean, back, back in the day, if you don't mind, I'd love to just share this with you really quick uh, because it, it just it, it blows me away every, every time I think it through that I was not looking for God. I think God was tracking me down. And at, at the time that I was on the show Growing Pains, I was a, an atheist. If you had asked me, I'd have told you there is no God. I thought Jesus was part of a different trinity, uh, the Tooth Fairy, the Easter Bunny, and God. I was doing great. I had a career at 14 years old. By the time I was 17 years old, I was making money. I was famous. I was traveling around the country. I mean, this was, this was the life. But then I met a girl on the set of Growing Pains who was one of the cheerleaders in Mike Seaver's high school. She was actually one of triplets, and I was trying to decide which one to ask out on a date. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, how do you decide this? And, and uh, I... I, I 
got to know this one sister, and she invited me to meet her family. And I thought, this is great. Things are moving along nicely. And she gave me an address, and I drove to what ended up being a church. Now, remember, I'm an atheist. But I thought, I'm also an actor. I could fake this whole thing. And so I went into the church. I met with her and her dad and, and mom, and we sat in the back row of this church, and I heard this great sermon from the, from the preacher who stood at a pulpit a lot like this and had a big Bible up there. And I didn't believe in the Bible. I thought the Bible was just this uh, outdated, antiquated book full of rules designed to remove all the fun out of your life. I'd see it in, the, in the, the little side table at the hotel in the drawer, but I could never understand what it meant. And he was telling these stories about how God created the universe and he's all-powerful and he's holy, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, no wickedness, no evil, and that he created the universe and filled it with all of the... the the sun and the moon and the stars and the creatures and the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and then created one that was unique and separate from the rest who would bear the image of the creator himself and he would govern over God's creation under his authority as his image bearer. And, and this creature, uh, it, it wasn't what I thought. Uh, it, it, it wasn't um, an evolved cockroach. It wasn't pond scum. It wasn't an overarching worm. This was a special creation of God that was designed for the task of governing and subduing the earth for the glory of God. And this was starting to sound like a great uh, pilot for uh, a, a television series or a great script for a movie. And he talked about how his creation was in fellowship with him in the garden, and then, then the great deceiver slithers in in the form of a serpent who deceives Adam and Eve. And rather than protecting and guarding and cultivating the garden, Adam essentially allows his wife, the most precious thing in the garden, to be deceived, and he joins in with her, rebelling against God, sending the whole human race down the path of death and destruction. And God, in his, in his justice declares the, the death sentence upon the human race, but rather than fully executing on that justice, he employs a rescue mission that would involve a descendant of Adam and Eve who would be known as the last Adam, who would live the life that Adam didn't live and then willingly lay down his life in sacrificial service to reconcile his creation back to God, reverse the curse, and crush the head of the serpent, precisely what the first Adam should have done in the garden when he starts messing with his wife. And that he would die, and then he would rise from the grave, and this story was getting better and better. Says this young atheist sitting in the back of the, of the church, and he ascends into heaven, and he's ruling and reigning as the as the king of the universe, as the, the ruler of the kings of the earth, and that every person would have to stand before the God, the judge of the universe, on the day that they die to give an account of their life, desperately in need of his forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration, and that that would come freely as a gift from the Creator to all those who would turn from their wickedness and rebellion and turn back to God through faith 
in the one he sent to save them. I was like, wow, this is great. I didn't believe a word of it, but that pastor sure did. And uh, I didn't know who he was uh, at the time, but his name was Chuck Swindoll. I didn't know who he was. And I left the church that day with lots of questions for this girl's father who answered many of them about evolution and the Bible and other religions and things like that. But he said, Kirk, if you want to know if there's a God, you need to talk to him yourself. You need to go to him. I can tell you about God, but if you want to know God, he is a person. Speak to him. He made your ears. He knows how to hear. He formed your eyes. He sees you. But you've got to go to him on his terms. And this was so important that he said that to me because on, on that day, everything was happening according to my terms. You wanted to talk to Mike Seaver? You'd have to call my agent, my manager, get an appointment between scenes, and we might have a five-minute talk. But he was pointing out that if I was going to have a talk with the creator of the universe, I would not be the celebrity in that relationship. And his terms were humility and faith. I didn't have much of either one. But I remember sitting in my sports car parked on the side of the road at 17 and a half years old. It was on November 5th, 1987. I had dropped this girl off at an acting class, and I got thinking about the fact that I was part of the ultimate statistic. Ten out of ten people die. Think about it. My friend Phil Robertson likes to say, we're all headed for a six-foot hole. (laughs) And there's only one way out. And I got thinking that if what that man said from that pulpit was true, if there really is a God in a heaven, I know that I'm not going. And I decided I would pray. And I just bowed my head and I closed my eyes. I wasn't sure why I was closing my eyes, but that's what I saw everybody in church do. I figured it was just a little religious trick that sent the prayers all the way up past the clouds. And so I closed them and I just said, God, if you're there, would you please show me? I don't know anything about religion, but if you're real, I want to know. And would you please show me the way? Forgive me for the wrong things I've done and make me the man that you created me to be. I opened my eyes. I I didn't see a vision of Jesus on the windshield. Uh, I didn't feel the Holy Spirit rush in through the air conditioning vents and blow my hair back. (laughs) But I had this sense that maybe, maybe God was listening to me. Maybe the one that made my ears just heard me. And suddenly I felt this big. And I was asking him to do something for me when I had never once said thank you for all that he had already done for me as a 17-year-old on a a TV show in Hollywood, California. And there was just some kind of an arrogant um, quality to my heart that characterized me that I felt was cracking And I wanted to learn more, and I went to church with another friend who gave me a Bible. I began to read it and discovered that you don't read the Bible, the Bible reads you. And started to tell me who I am and why I'm here and how, where I'm going and how to get there. And I got baptized, and I decided I wanted to be a follower of of Jesus Christ. And my pastor at that time said, Kirk, if anybody ever asks you, how did you find God in Hollywood? He said, let me remind you, you didn't find God. He wasn't lost. You were, and he found you. And I can tell you that of all the things I've done, of all the people that I've met, uh, of all the cool things that have happened, uh, 
Absolutely nothing and no one compares to the joy of knowing Almighty God, of being forgiven of my sin and being brought into a right relationship with my maker. God has been so gracious and kind since those days to open up doors that um, um, you you don't want to go through if you want a flourishing Hollywood career. And I I found that there were opportunities to, to meet people and work on projects that would further what I was passionate about at the time. And one of the greatest blessings, uh, in addition to working on Growing Pains, was uh, meeting my wife on the set of Growing Pains. Uh, as Tony mentioned, uh, we met as boyfriend and girlfriend on the set. I actually married Mike Seaver's girlfriend. We were on-screen sweethearts. I stole her out from underneath him. And uh, we've been married now for 31 years. We have six children. Uh, in, in fact, I think we've got a picture of my kids. There's the, there's, there are the kids. So, um, <clears throat> we've got... Now they're 25, 24, 23, 22, and 21. And uh, I want to tell you a quick story about, uh, I'd love to tell you about all of them, but um, Isabella, she is the third from the left. Uh, She is in the white dress there. And uh, Isabella had an opportunity to get in contact with her biological mother at 20 years old. She made contact with her and found out a whole backstory that she never knew, that we never knew about her. And her mom told her that when she found out that she got pregnant, she actually scheduled an appointment for an abortion. And she was on her way to the abortion clinic and got a flat tire and missed her appointment. She rescheduled the abortion, and the next time she went, the person that was driving her had car trouble and wasn't able to take her. She rescheduled it again and then ended up not having the money that she needed to pay for the abortion when she got there. And so then she tried again seeking some government assistance. And while she was waiting in the little lobby area, she saw a cockroach crawl across the floor. And she thought to herself, maybe God is trying to tell me something. And she decided that she would keep her baby and place her child up for adoption. And that little girl ends up being our daughter, Isabella, who went on to become a worship director at a church in Texas and do so many incredible things. She's now a flight attendant with American Airlines. We love her and we're so proud of her. And just this last Mother's Day, she had the opportunity not only to meet her biological mother in person for the very first time, but with Chelsea's blessing, spend Mother's Day weekend with her at her house in Arizona. And Isabella taped, she uh, recorded her trip on the airplane to the airport in Arizona to meet her birth mother for the very first time and for her birth mother to meet her little girl for the very first time in 20 years. And I brought the video with me. I want to show it to you right now.
There's another incredible story that I heard about when someone texted me a little a link to a documentary that Tony mentioned earlier called I Lived on Parker Avenue. And my wife, who is also an adopted child, said, Kirk, watch that. It's about adoption. And I said, all right, I'll sit down and watch it. I watched this documentary film for about 20 minutes in my kitchen and by the time I got into this story, I was ugly face crying in my kitchen. And uh, my son James comes into the kitchen, hey, Dad, and he saw my face, and he just turned around and he walked right back out because he knew there was no talking to Dad right now. This heart of an adoptive father was just just wrecked by this movie. And uh, it's the story of a young 19-year-old man who's grown up with this incredible family, And he's going off to law school, and he has the opportunity to meet his biological mother. And it's the story of this journey of the two of them reconnecting after all of these years and the impact that his life has made on so many people and the healing that has taken place. And it's all about the life of David Scotton that you just met a moment ago. And I thought, man, this has got to be turned into a full-blown feature film with actors and the whole bit. And so we began talking and securing the rights to be able to make the movie. And before I got too deep into the whole thing, I called my friends the Kendrick brothers. These are the experienced movie makers who made Fireproof, Courageous, War Room, Unstoppable, uh, uh, Unbreakable, no, uh, Overcomer. That's what it was called. And I said, guys, I want to make this movie. Would you watch this documentary and tell me if you think I'm crazy? Because this is going to be a big deal. They watched the movie and said, not only do we not think it's crazy, uh, we think God is nudging us to ask you if we could make it together with you. And I said, let me think for half a second. Yes. Let's do it together. And so we did. We went down that road, and it finally, just when we got it finished, the pandemic hit. And we had to shut down our schedule to release the movie in movie theaters. And we indefinitely. Then, providentially, things begin to open back up when all of a sudden this historic Supreme Court ruling overthrowing Roe versus Wade happens just when the movie is scheduled to be released six weeks later. When the nation is on fire with this issue, here comes a movie rushing into the movie theaters celebrating the value of life in the womb and the beauty of adoption. How unbelievable and perfect is that? I mean, that is the hand of providence. And if you got a chance to see it in movie theaters, uh, uh, you know what a powerful story it is. I got to play the adoptive father. And uh, David Scotton actually plays a secret role in the movie as well. And uh, it's going to be coming out on streaming services. You can rent it, get it on DVD, and all of that very soon. In fact, I brought the movie trailer just in case you didn't have a chance to see it. Would you like to see the trailer? All right, check this out. Are you okay with people knowing that you're adopted? Yes. Mostly. Not really. Do you remember asking to see that when you were about eight years old? How old were they? I think she was 18. And he was 17. I honestly had no idea that this many people were wanting to adopt. Imagine how scared she must have been. She was pregnant when she graduated. And then the decision to place you for adoption. God, if you're there, please protect him and watch over him. There's a birth mother on the line with a question for you. 
must have been the hardest decision of her entire life. Hello? But she loved you, and I'm so glad that she made the choice that she did. I've always wondered if my biological parents think about me. Today's David's 18th birthday. You want to talk to him? I don't think he'd want to talk to me. There's only one way to find out. I guess maybe I didn't want to feel different. You didn't want to be any. No, I didn't want to be different. Different. Okay, good. That's a lot better. God gave you to me and Mom as a gift. And you will always be our son. Is that your birth mom? She wants to meet. Really? Yeah. This is huge! Hey, what's up, Emily? How's it going? That's Elizabeth. Quick story that just came in. There's a man who... Ha- had to make some extra money outside of his regular job, decides to be an Uber driver, and he's a very introverted, shy personality. He goes to start his day, picks up a young girl who wants a ride. He punches in the address and discovers that he's taking her to a Planned Parenthood clinic. He just saw LifeMark two nights before. It made such a powerful impact on him that he drew down and summoned the courage to say to this young lady in the back seat, pardon me for saying this, but I just saw a movie with such an important message and I couldn't help but notice where I'm taking you right now. It's a movie that celebrates the value of life in the womb and the beauty of adoption. Would you be open to talking to someone before you make a decision that is going to impact you for the rest of your life. She said yes. He gets her on the phone with someone at a pregnancy resource clinic who counsels her. She turns around, gets her in touch with a local community church. She receives more counseling. They reconcile her with her estranged family back in Texas She comes to faith in the Lord Jesus through church and chooses life for her child and places them up for adoption. I mean, to think that God can use stories like yours, David, and movies coming out of Hollywood, California, and just Uber drivers and people who are willing to come up alongside these girls and counsel them and support these care centers to save lives and to expand eternity is just mind-blowing to me. Tony mentioned uh, something that I was a part of right at the start of the pandemic called uh, the American Campfire Revival. And this really started out of my own frustration of being... Uh, in California under house arrest uh, while our governor, uh, Gavin Newsom, (laughs) had everything shut down and locked down. And then after the craziness with the election, here we are in January 
with the inauguration of our new president and the first hundred days of the administration was about to roll out. And this is what everyone's talking about. And I thought to myself, I'm sitting here feeling like I'm on the defense. I'm just sitting in the stands and I want to get into the arena. I want us to be on the offense as the family of faith. And I'm thinking with everybody, you know, armchair quarterbacking and complaining about all the wrong things being done, what is our 100-day plan as the family of faith to guide our nation back to the principles that made her the freest, strongest, most blessed and generous nation the world has ever known? And I thought... Rather than waiting for another executive order, how about I just spend the next hundred days looking to the mandates from heaven, which said, if my people will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I will hear their prayers, I'll forgive their sin and heal our land, their land. And I thought, that's what we need. And so... I made a hundred campfires in a hundred day consecutive days in a row in my backyard, and I set up my phone and turned on Facebook Live and prayed with the nation and began to teach through the principles that our founders understood that we have forgotten. And the principles of the original American covenant that has been covered up and distorted by an elite group of people who are at war with the truth. And one of the things that I discovered was that our founding fathers and our forefathers and foremothers were great people of faith and character who who understood the essential ingredients for a free country, for a just country, And for that freedom and justice to last. And when they came here 400 years ago, it was like they had the foresight not only to live these principles out, but to leave a reminder for future generations because they know that it is our tendency 